1: how they steer clear of Uncle Sam.
0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli joined here with Nick and Elaine Stockberg, founder of Black Swan Real Estate LLC, a family owned and operated real estate investment company with over 10 years of experience owning and managing a rapidly growing portfolio of homes in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma and Rochester, Minnesota. In today's episode, we discuss scaling a single-family rental business, including the benefits of vertical integration, building a competitive advantage by focusing on select markets, why it's better to pick up good properties at a fair price rather than the cheapest properties around, why you do not need to graduate to multifamily in order to scale a rental business, tax strategies, and much more. Uh, Nick and Elaine, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background?
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We're we're very excited to be here. We appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners and, and share about our story. Uh, we're Nick and Elaine Stagerberg. We live in Rochester, Minnesota. We are the owners of Black Swan Real Estate, and we principally do single family investing.
0: What is unique about your mentality and the values that you bring to your investing approach?
3: Yeah, I think that's actually a really easy question. You know, everything that we do is kind of extension of our, our values, and uh, you know, one of our core values I think is that the real asset in uh, rental real estate, residential rental real estate, or, or any rental real estate is the tenant. The property is just a a prop that attracts that tenant. So. We start with the end in mind when we are kind of curating what properties we want to look for and acquire for ourselves or for investors. And we're kind of always asking ourselves, is this the kind of property that would attract a high quality tenant? If you close your eyes and visualize what a house looks like, I really hope that that's a close line with our product. I feel like a lot of people get burned in single family real estate because, I mean, let's be real here. The typical rent house is kind of the house that lingered on the market and it's on a busy road and doesn't have a garage or doesn't have a driveway or doesn't have a backyard or all of the above <laughs> it was a duplex and then it wasn't a duplex and it's just kind of a just kind of a weird house that tends to attract a weird tenant and then you have poor outcomes because you didn't start with the end in mind you didn't think what property is going to attract the best business partner I can possibly attract here so you refer to tenants as business partners that's right
2: we do, yeah. We say um, you know, no one would dream of buying a house or a commercial property or any piece of real estate and saying, I'm just going to let it sit vacant for 30 years and I'm going to pay the mortgage and I'm going to pay the maintenance and I'm going to keep the utilities on. No one would set out to do that except maybe with raw land and we think raw land is, is somewhat risky.
3: As Keith Cunningham would say, <laughs> it eats three meals a day.
2: So when we're, we're real estate investors, but really we're tenant investors. We're trying to find people who are going to take excellent care of our properties, who are going to maintain them well, keep them clean, call us when they need uh, maintenance that you know kind of goes beyond like the day-to-day upkeep of a home. They're going to pay the mortgage. They're going to keep the utilities on. They're going to make sure the driveway is shoveled. And then at the end, they leave the property and we part ways, but then we continue to have full ownership and equity of that property. That's really like the best business arrangement anyone could ever possibly dream of.
3: That's right during our, our vetting process you know we'll literally tell someone you know we expect you're going to treat the home like you own it you know we tend to have premium properties that tend to attract a premium resident we call them residents not tenants and um, you can tell someone a set of rules give them a hundred page lease agreement but nothing's gonna drive their behavior quite so much as conforming to an identity and so our tenants, Understand as part of the walkthrough that this is a high-quality home that people take good care of, that high-quality people are attracted to, and either you understand that narrative or you don't. And people who don't understand that narrative do not lease from us. They choose their own volition to not to lease from us. We're a, a fair housing provider, obviously, and we encourage everyone to submit an application. But you know, they they hear that message and either they say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe this! This is you. You are the person I've been looking for my entire you know tenant career." or I don't get it. Why are you saying these things and they look elsewhere? But it starts with having a high quality property and the right kind of assets to attract that that tenant that's that's the real asset behind the property. And then it sure helps when you own the property management company and this is the culture that we insist our employees understand and communicate to everyone that we do business with.
1: That's that's awesome. Yeah, and we'll get into the property management piece here, but I think it's really interesting that you call your residents business partners. I mean that that's a cool Almost like a, a mindset shift that I've never heard before. So, yeah, it definitely puts you in a different a different frame of mind whenever you're interviewing these folks. So, what do you, what types of properties? I know, I know that you're buying single-family homes, but what, what exactly are you looking for? What does the rehab look like? What sort of residents are you looking for? Uh, talk yeah. to us about that.
2: Let, I, I want to address one thing about our residents and our relationship with them. Nick talked a lot about what we're looking for in our ideal resident. And it goes both ways. So we are, are the people who live in our homes have our phone numbers. They have direct access to our team members. We respond to them for every maintenance request within 24 hours. Um, we provide an exceptional level of customer service. And so it, it's a two-way street. Um, when we're looking for that perfect person for a house, we're also Trying our, our very best to be the the absolute best property management company we can be, so that they're attracted to us as well and want to do business with us. I wanted to make sure we we squeeze that in there because that's important. And we Absolutely. think that the management is almost as important as the property. So let me let us address your your question there about the type of properties we look for.
3: Yeah. So um, it, it varies. You know, it, it it varies. But basically, we are looking for a, a normal house, a normal house that. Anybody would feel very happy to live in. Um, it's going to be not an A plus kind of class home. There might be, you know, granite countertops in the kitchen and subway tile backsplash and top line stainless steel appliances. But it's probably going to be like a fifty or seventy year old home. We really love uh, mid century builds. Uh, we were putting men on the moon when these homes were built. There's a very aspirational architecture, uh, steel main beams and siding and windows and cabinets like. We buy a home that's 70 years old and the cabinets are still in flawless condition. And we buy a home that's built in the 70s when quality standards kind of fell off a lot. We replace the cabinets and a few years later, those new cabinets are due to be replaced again. So we target older homes in established neighborhoods and then we do you know, renovations to make them look as beautiful as possible, We're kind of conform to that original you know neighborhood architecture and style. Um, and sometimes we do, you know, six figure renovations and sometimes it's just, you know, a $5,000 kind of touch up here and there. And sometimes we buy homes that need absolutely nothing at all. Just, you know, Warren Buffett says, I would much rather get a good deal on a great company than a great deal on a good company. And maybe I'm hopelessly opinionated about this, but I feel like most real estate investors just don't understand this. They're looking for the best deal on a low quality asset, but we know from experience that our lowest quality assets have abysmal financial outcomes. So if we can find a high quality home at market price, that that's simply not at the premium price it should attract. We love to buy that asset. We absolutely love to buy that asset because those assets get the best possible tenants. Right. Uh, maybe I didn't answer all of your question. There. I don't remember all the parts to it.
0: <laughs> no, I think you did a great job answering that question. So I, I guess my quick question there is, is along the same lines, how do you end up sourcing those properties? Do you like go direct to market, like with your own marketing campaigns or, or are you using brokers and agents? Like well, what's yeah. your, what's your acquisition strategy?
3: Yeah. Great question. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't find any deals on the MLS, right? So that's why we buy most of our deals from the MLS. I feel like we're the only ones looking. I don't I don't get it. So we do direct mail. We do outbound calls. We have a map of every distressed property in our community. We've driven every single street, taken photos. We do skip trace, email campaigns, all that stuff. But you know what kind of properties we get from our direct mail campaign? the low-quality properties that aren't really fit to sell on the retail market. And we do six-figure renovations to those properties, and they look really good when we get done. But we leverage relationships with uh, with brokers, with other agents. Immediately before this call, I got a call from another agent. I'm a, I'm a licensed real estate agent, Keller Williams. And it's hard to get through a conversation with uh, me without hearing that we buy homes. And if you have a home that needs a little TLC or just a cash offer would be valuable, please give us a call. And we can probably get you a fair offer for that property. We're not offering... 10 cents on the dollar, like, you know, a lot of wholesalers out there we're happy to pay, you know, what the home is worth. So I I got a call and they said, yep, this is a tenant, they need to sell their home before they can buy, but it's really tough to buy right now. So I'm nervous trying to list their home like that. Could you make them a cash offer, close in seven days, then lease back to them until they buy a home. And I said, absolutely, let's go take a look at it.
2: We really want to buy homes that owner-occupants would want to live in. And so that's that's what we're targeting. And then we improve them such that they're extremely durable. So like, we take out all of the carpet and put in hard surface flooring, typically like LVP. Any renovations we're doing, we're really um we really have an eye for durability so it it looks like a home that an owner occupant would be very happy to live in it doesn't look like a you know quote unquote rent house but it has like the durability that can survive you know 10 years or 20 years with pets and children and anyone else in the home
3: now one of our uh, one of our tenants actually asked for me to come meet with them the other day and i'm like oh that's not good whenever they're asking you know speak with a supervisor right And uh, I went and she's like, I'm so sorry to take up your time. I know it's valuable, but I just want to tell you face to face, I really appreciate how nice you made this home because this individual knew a lot about residential construction had done remodels and stuff like that. And they knew that, you know, when you go to the, the cabinetry, you know, vendor, they have the good, better, best cabinet. And we put in the best cabinet. Now we don't put in the custom cabinets that the Amish people work on several months for, you know, we don't go crazy but we put in the owner occupant grade finishes that are durable so you know 90% of our turnovers are zero cost turnovers and we had less than 1% vacancy over the last year in fact we do a lot of crazy things that are uh, i don't know what to call it approach appeals to so for example it's part of our lease agreement that you are required to show the home like when you go see a home and the leasing agent says yeah we're really awesome well that doesn't mean much to you but when you go to look at a home and the Current tenant, the outgoing tenant says these people are amazing. You really want to rent from them? Well, that's a referral that means something. And uh, when you have high quality properties that attract high quality tenants, all of these things kind of fall into place. You don't have train wreck turnovers that cost five thousand dollars that create a month of vacancy, and our profitability, you know, our bottom line truly reflects that. The average household income of our tenants is well into six figure territory. They choose to rent from us because we offer the same kind of level of service you might expect from like a car lease, for example. And really, I think that our mission is nothing short of changing what it means to rent. Uh, If you're in common company, you may not want to describe yourself as either a landlord or a tenant. You might be a little embarrassed to say that because they're both potentially pejorative. How crazy is that? So we think that if we can raise the bar for what it means to be a tenant, what it means to be a landlord, what it means to live in a rental home, then uh, success is going to figure itself out all on its own.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as you're kind of talking about all this, I imagine the markets that you look for properties and there's some method to the reason why you choose the market. So would you be able to give us a brief overview of what markets you're in and why you love them?
1: Before we do that, though, um, very good question. And I definitely want to hit the markets piece. I'm sure that there are some listeners. I'm, I'm very, I'm an accountant, right? Very numbers focused. And I'm sure that there are some listeners that are going, this all sounds really nice. Does it help you drive better rents, reduce turnover, increase margins? I've got to imagine it does. But do you have any sort of like, can, can you talk to that at all?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we we love real estate because it's such a relationship-based business. And I think that's what has kept us in real estate for so many years. But obviously, this is a business. Obviously, we we want to have profit for ourselves, for people who we we manage their properties for, our contractors, you know, everyone that's involved. So when we are kind of putting together, you know, this whole thing of finding the best property that will attract a high quality tenant that's in a good solid neighborhood with good schools and good bones and doing very strategic value add renovations so that the maintenance on that property is lower over the course of time and it's a very durable property like I said we take out carpet so that once we put that LVP down that's going to be there for, you know, 20 years and then we couple that with extremely high customer service then all of that together are all these efficiencies and improvements that allow us to get uh, very high rents for our market. Um, We have essentially the equivalent of like a waiting list of people that want to live in our homes because we're known in the community as having very high quality homes with exceptional service that minimizes vacancy. We can often get a lease on a property before we have even closed. So we're, we're kind of lining everything up for, okay, you would like to move in, you know, say January 1st, we are, we're, we're recording this in, at the beginning of November. So you'd like to move in in January 1st, we have this property under contract, we're going to close on this date, we need this much time for renovations, so it will be ready for you. We can't show it to you right now, because we don't actually own it. But we can show you these other properties that are going to look exactly the same. And people are excited to do that. And then people stay for longer. So that minimizes vacancy and turnover, kind of all of these things together, uh, lead to us having a very profitable business that's very enjoyable to run.
3: We're doing an appraisal for one of our investors. They bought a property last year with us and we placed a tenant. And you know, as part of that tenant interview process, you know, we tell you these are premium properties that attract premium tenant, We expect you to treat the home like you own it. If you plan to give us a call to replace a light bulb, this may not be a good fit. And we hope that you're going to make the home like your own. In whatever sense of the word that means to you. And so we walk into this property and I look at it and I'm like, something is different here. Uh, So I pull up the MLS photos from last year. They have remodeled the kitchen. It's uh, had like wood grain cabinets and now they're all white cabinets with like an accent wall. And I think they put in some shiplap or something like that. Uh, They put new flooring and uh, an accent wall in the bathroom They upgraded all the light switches and stuff to like the little light up fancy LED ones you see on HGTV. Uh, None of the material cost, you know, like some paint and a little bit of their time and, you know, shiplap is not that expensive. I mean, they maybe spent like a couple thousand dollars on the property. I think they bumped the equity on that property by about 10 grand. Uh, And I'm like, so would you like to renew your lease? And they're like, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, we could we renew for two years? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And they're negotiating on rental rate a little bit. Happy to take a, a small haircut on rental rate if I can go three years with the same tenant who's added ten thousand dollars in property value in the last year. And to be clear, he did ask for permission. He was like, "Yeah, can I can I uh, uh, you know touch up a few things?" I'm like, "Absolutely." I just had no idea. I was I was almost mad with him that he had made so many improvements to the property. Um, <laughs> this is not awesome. unusual. Like we have one property that's been repainted. The whole house has been repainted three times. We've never painted that property. Had that property for ten years mm-hmm. and we've never painted wow. that property. So uh, yes, there are very positive financial outcomes that come about as a result of giving people the level of customer service they've come to expect, I think, in a lot of areas of life. Like what, what level of customer expe- service do you expect from, you know, from Amazon or like, uh, you know, some sort of a boutique retail business? You know, my my grocery store has no relationship with me. And that's, that's kind of offensive to me. And very few people have a relationship with their landlord. And that's not right. There's a good chance that your landlord is going to be one of the most intimate relationships in your entire life, isn't it? Hmm. The only person you call in the middle of the night and need help, or the only person who comes into your home when you may not expect it, is like yeah. your your wife and your you know like nuclear family, and then your landlord right there. And so, if you just act the part, people play their part as well. Yeah, so, we know we
2: don't know so much about our tenants. You know, we'll get the call of. Someone getting married, someone getting a divorce, a new baby, um, a grown child moving out. You know, we we know so much about our tenants and being able to provide them with with excellent customer service and make the living experience as good for them as we possibly can. It has huge financial benefits for us.
3: Yeah, we escalate rents on average twenty five percent when we wow. take another management company.
1: So to sum this up, you focus on customer service as basically a competitive advantage in the marketplace. You've built that out as a competitive advantage. People know you for the customer service and the big major benefits there for for everybody that needs to connect something subjective to objective numbers, that the big major advantage from what I've heard is you essentially don't have vacancy, or or you've really mitigated any sort of vacancy you otherwise would have less
3: than one percent for the last five years.
1: Wow, that's incredible. That's that's huge. I mean, that's huge. So so there you go, folks. I mean that that right there tells you, and that's across your entire portfolio. So right. so that right there tells you that customer service can be a huge competitive advantage in the marketplace. Then you said that you can increase rents uh, by a significant amount. You've got a waiting list of tenants. All that's great, but best case. Somebody rehabs your house for you. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think I think you hit the nail on the head there, Brandon. Customer service. And then the other thing is very strategic rehab. So, you know, putting in flooring that can't be damaged, putting in, you know, the best toilets so that we don't get clogged toilet calls. So it's the
3: American standard Titan, by the way. You can flush a bucket of golf balls down with a single flush. That's <laughs> not a toilet that clogs. Yeah. And a lot of landlords, they just like repaint at turnover. That's crazy. We don't understand that. And then because they repaint every turnover, they put the cheapest, junkiest flat paint in the property. Well, we put in top of the line paint that's uh, you know, an eggshell because that's the sheen that you see in an owner-occupant home. You don't know it, but subconsciously, you walk into a rental property and you see the flat paint on the wall and you know it's a rental. And you see the semi-gloss trim and you know it's a rental, but you see satin on our trim and eggshell on our walls. And it feels like an owner-occupant home. Subconsciously or consciously, that's what you see and that's what you feel. But it also means we don't have to repaint our houses every time we turn them over. It's expensive. Solid
2: doors, just all sorts of things so that it's a very high-quality property that will have uh, the the minimum amount of maintenance expense throughout time of owning it.
3: And we do a a burr business model. We always buy with cash and then do our renovation, and then we'll do a cash-out refi. And, can, uh, you can, know, I, the can I ask you about that?
2: I'm sorry to interrupt
1: you. So, so you're doing the bur uh, with the pandemic and everything. Has it been harder to get the refinances?
3: It's complicated.
2: Yes and no. Yeah.
3: So, for example, we used to leverage a number of portfolio loan products that just don't exist anymore. So, we used to get yeah. like HELOCs on our investment properties as like an intermediate stage of financing, and we just forego that now. But we leverage uh, portfolio loans, commercial notes from local regional banks, and before this crash came, we knew it was coming. I mean, we would never would have predicted a, a global pandemic in a million years. That was not on my radar, but we all know the market has been high. And so when building relationships with you know, regional banks, I'd sit down with the, the person who was the decider and say, listen, um, what do you see for your organization when the downturn comes? Is this something that you are fearful about? And kind of nervous looking on the horizon? Is this something that you feel like your institution is really well prepared for? You're well capitalized. You have a book of business that's maybe not hungry for people to be in pain, but prepared. And um, you know, the banker that I'm, I actually met with the banker a couple hours ago. And when I asked him that question, he just said, stone cold, it would be a tragedy to let a pandemic go to waste. That is a person oh. I wanted to business with. Interesting. That is a person who understands exactly where we are and where they are and how our interests align. And it is useless to have some sort of downturn if you don't have cash and you don't have credit. So we're doing business with the banks who aren't necessarily giving us the best term sheet today, but the banks who are going to be with us tomorrow and who are going to lend to us when the chips are down because they know that we are not going anywhere.
2: Yeah. Having having strong relationships with banks, meeting with them frequently, even if we're not doing. You know, deals with them right then because of the term sheets that they're offering or kind of the lending that they're interested or not interested in still maintaining those relationships. That's really important. Um And always evolving our financing strategy. So kind of one of the things that we'll say over and over is for every hour we spend looking for a deal, we need to spend an equivalent hour working on our financing strategy. Because just like the market is always changing with deals, the market is always changing with financing. And it's the two together that is really Really allows for explosive
0: growth. Absolutely. Yeah. And that actually kind of brings up a really good question. So, we've talked a lot about what you do on the operating side of your business. And now we're kind of talking a little bit about the financing. And, and from our understanding, uh, you do work with investors, not just banks. And I kind of just wanted to get an idea of you know, when you work with an investor, what is the average investor you work with? What do they come to you looking for?
3: Yeah, great question. Um, more than anything, they're looking for a tax advantage, I, I feel like. And we have a number of different kind of options that we offer the investors that we work with. The most common one is we buy a house and we manage it. It's, it's that simple. We're not a turnkey provider where you know we buy a distressed home and put some lipstick on it and then kind of sell it for a premium price. We represent you as an agent get that that buyer's agent commission and you know charge a small project management fee if um, if you want to do a small rehab on that property or even a large rehab then we uh, manage your property and uh, help you do you know cost segregation accelerated depreciation bonus depreciation all that good stuff if that's what you would like and then we also work on larger deals as well so we in 11 days we are closing on a seven and a half million dollar uh, subdivision of, of townhomes. It's kind of a, a failed housing subdivision. And uh, so we're going to step in and, and take it over and kind of turn it around. It's a, a rental community now, or it will be. And, um, you know, we brought in investors for that deal as well. And a JV structure uh, where they get, you know, huge, huge, huge advantages uh, for, for their tax.
2: I'm a psychiatrist. So a lot of our investors are fellow physicians, but we work with a lot of investors who aren't physicians. And that's actually very near and dear to our hearts. Nick and I were both very poor growing up and really used real estate as a way to kind of change our family tree in terms of the wealth that we have and the wealth that we'll be able to pass on to our children. And so we really like working with people who aren't physicians as a way to help them grow their wealth. We, we, we still have a, a huge place in our heart for kind of a young person that maybe wants to house hack or buy a house and live in it for a few years and then turn it into a rental property. Um, just working with people across all income spectrums um, and helping people grow their wealth through real estate.
3: And they do get fantastic returns, of course. Uh, just I figured uh, I'd do a shout out to the tax since we are on the the real estate CPA podcast there.
0: Absolutely. We, we always love to talk about tax. It always ends up making its way into our conversation um, here. Before we get full blown into taxes, you know, I was looking at your website prior to today's podcast, and then it looked like you also had, you know, equity versus debt options as well. Um, you might take on some investors using notes and just kind of wanted to get your take on what the differences are and what the pros and cons are of each and, and why someone would want to do one over the other.
3: Absolutely. So it depends on the situation and the needs of that investor. Are they investing from like a retirement account, for example? Uh, There's going to be UBIT and UDFI implications to investing in a leveraged asset from a retirement account. It's probably a terrible fit, whereas note investing from a retirement account uh, wipes out any of those penalties. Uh, So we have lots of different ways that we uh, structure those deals. So for example, that large townhome deal, uh, you know, we're paying a pretty, a pretty huge, uh, preferred rate of return as a, as a guaranteed payment on that particular opportunity in conjunction with the, the tax benefits. So, um, you know, like that partner who brought a million bucks, I mean, they own a, a third of the entity, but they are also getting a, a large guaranteed payment. So it performs much like a note. Um, and I'm not aware of anyone else who really structures deals like this. I think that's a, well, I guess now not so secret sauce, um, <laughs> but, uh, uh You'll need to hire an expensive attorney, maybe, to replicate it. I don't know. Uh, Brandon's been very helpful with it. So, it, it, you know, it depends on your situation and what exactly you're looking for. So, you know, that that investor, they said, you know, we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in capital gains we need to bury uh, this year. Can you help us with that? And we said, absolutely. And we could dial in our JV structure to give them the exact amount of depreciation that they needed. You know, we have a. An estimate from a you know structural engineer will do the cost segregation study, so we can have a very you know realistic expectation of just what the financial outcomes will be for the year one performance on that asset for that investor. We can get them exactly what they need. Um, so uh, we really we really like that approach uh, versus like your traditional you know syndication or something like that because we found the uh, the essence of unhappiness is unmet expectations. So, you know, we'll do, you know, a variable return deal like that. And, you know, we promise a, well, promise, that's the problem right there. I, I, you just use the word promise. Our pro forma will say 15%, we deliver a 14% return or heck we, you know, our performance says a 20%, we deliver a 19% return and someone's unhappy about that. But when we, you know, have a, like a, like a pref, there's no ambiguity. There's, you know, expectations are met and uh, we're happy to shoulder the, the upside or downside beyond that.
0: No, absolutely. Got to love press. Always recommend that's looking for one. <laughs> so, one kind of last question along this line. Have there been any investors coming to you with concerns over COVID-19 and how that might infect their investments and if so, what were their concerns?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, that's something we, you know, we we keep a, a very close pulse on. I'm obviously a physician, so it, it's something that's important to me outside of real estate as well. In the beginning of the year, from about March to June, we did halt all of our acquisitions. That was the only time in our about 10-year real estate career that we halted acquisitions. Um, just kind of getting a lay of the land, seeing how things were going to look through lockdowns, that sort of thing. And then it looked like things were going well in our market and in most markets across the country because of the you know extreme demand for single-family homes and the low supply of single-family homes. So we resumed acquisitions and and carried on with our business. Um, In our portfolio, we've had 99 plus percent rent collections through all of COVID. And so that's been very good. Our investors obviously have been very happy with that. Um, That kind of speaks to the the two types of investors that we have. We have people who invest with notes and they get a fixed rate of return um, that's kind of regardless of how the market's doing, whether that's for better or for worse. Um, and that, that's very comforting to them. Maybe they don't know much about real estate or don't want to have to think about these things. And then we we're managing all of that stuff and they have their return and then people who own properties. And then we manage them for them. Obviously we manage them with the utmost care. We, we really think that the biggest strength of our property management company is that we ourselves are owners. So we own about half of our overall portfolio personally, and we manage the properties all the same. But there is more risk there, right? So, if rent collections had been, you know, if there had been trouble with rent collections or, or other sorts of things, then then there's more risk in that type of investment. So, people have asked us about it. They've they've been very uh, pleased with with how things have gone in our market and in our
3: portfolio in particular. Fortunately, um, you know, there was a question about markets earlier. So, uh, we occupy, I think, one of the most recession-resistant markets in the entire country, and that's that's not on accident. This is a market that we've very deliberately chosen. Um, so our market is the home of the number one healthcare provider in the world. And, um, you know, when things kind of first hit in the spring, you know, the, that, that primary employer, you know, kind of froze salaries, cut executive pay, you know, hourly workers were, for the most part, remained whole. And they kept paying people even when people couldn't work. They were kind of the first organization out there to send everyone home. And they would kind of have the same policy we did of like, well, let's see where this thing goes. And now today they've reinstated pay. They even paid out back pay from the pay they withheld earlier this year. Um, They are running at like 110, 115 percent capacity because not only is there the routine care they can provide and elective care and stuff, but they have a mission. Uh, I mean, there's a very good chance that the cure will be found in this community. Statistically speaking, it's likely. And uh, we're certainly
2: leading the way on testing. in The country. The
3: main testing facility is like a quarter mile from our office. So this is a community that historically has been very recession resistant in today's market, you know, with, with COVID is is probably the most recession resistant, you know, market in the country. I wouldn't have ever predicted a, a pandemic, but we just, you know, we went and flew out to Portland and Seattle and toured homes and looked at school districts and, you know, tried to, Envision, you know, relocating to one of these, you know, uh, sexy markets that everyone wants to invest in, and uh, this was the one that was just head and shoulders on top of everything else. Uh, and we really like that there's moats here. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Warren Buffett concept of moats, but this is one of the highest regulatory climate markets in the entire country. It is illegal to operate a rental property without local representation here. No out-of-state landlords and you have to get routine inspections and you have to get permits and certificates. And as a result, it makes it easy for us to set ourselves apart and deliver performance for ourselves and our investors. Um, I think Warren Buffett would be proud of our choice of market.
0: No, I got I to admit, I, I love real estate investors who try to get Warren Buffett principles into uh, their investment philosophy. I think it makes a ton of ton of sense to do.
3: No one but, is going to yeah. make a ketchup that competes with Heinz and no one is going to, um, we, we have property in Oklahoma city. And uh, REITs, you know, American Homes for Rent and stuff have have moved in and they own a majority of real estate in some of the neighborhoods where we have assets and they're kind of terrible management companies. That's not their focus. And as a result, uh, it has driven down rental rates and it's depreciated our homes in those markets, uh, which has been a really sad thing to watch happen. And that's something that could never happen to the market we're in right now. Or if it did, it would be a (laughs) it it would be a, a challenging endeavor for them. But all the investors out there are looking for the cheap, easy markets, right? Except the problem with that is that every investor is looking for the cheap, easy markets. And so this is a basic supply and demand equation. If you go where there's an unmet need, you're going to be very successful. If you're willing to do the hard thing that others are not willing to do and embrace the principle that the obstacle is the way, Um, like a lot of landlords in my market rage against the regulation. I go, you know, we host a regular real estate meetup and mastermind and people come and, you know, complain about the regulation. Oh, I'm going to go down south where there's no regulation. Well, we love the regulation here. We lean into it. We meet with the inspectors and the, the bureaucrats and say, what's your goal? I, I sat down with the, uh, the director for uh, kind of the enforcement you know, program and uh, had lunch with her and said, what's your vision for this city? It was a beautiful vision. I said, what can I do to help you achieve that vision? And she was like almost in tears. She was just so excited to have a landlord talking to her about this and she told me everything. And she said, you know what? I've got a list of all of my least favorite properties in Rochester. Could I give you that list? Could you just like buy these properties and renovate them? Because I would love to not have to police these terrible landlords. She literally has a list of every distressed home in our community, just sitting in her office because that that's her job is to police these things. So when you make the obstacle the way, suddenly you have this strategic advantage that's just insurmountable and the things you achieve seem seem impossible to your competition.
1: Yeah, I I can kind of confirm that or or at least attest to that through personal experience. My parents own a pretty large portfolio in Hickory, North Carolina, and there's a lot of landlords there that just let their properties go to shambles, really. I mean, there's no, no management at all. And when my parents were getting started, that's exactly what they did. They went and met. Anybody that was associated with any sort of a housing authority or any sort of government agency in Hickory, North Carolina, they met with all of them. And not like, I don't think they set out to strategically do that. It just sort of happened with the types of properties they were buying. They sort of built this reputation and and some people started reaching out and then they started realizing like, oh, I can meet these people and we can actually create a win-win situation. So it was a uh, really interesting experience kind of watching them go through that as well. And it seems like you guys have had success doing that too.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, this is a tax podcast. So what sort of tax strategies are you guys deploying through your investing, uh, your businesses? Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah. So obviously, we, we love the tax advantages of real estate. Um, it's super helpful in you know, driving up returns and overall profitability for our business. Um, I would say kind of, of of most of the real estate investors we know, we tend to lean maybe a little bit away from, from the tax advantages. And by that, I mean that if, let's say, all of the tax advantages of real estate evaporated today, there's some sort of change in the government or something, and all of the tax advantages change, we would probably carry on about 95% of our business exactly the way we're we're doing it now. So when we acquire a property, renovate a property, rent that property, when we develop our pro formas, we actually don't include any tax advantages in those documents. And we're we're purchasing that property for its production, um, not for tax advantages obviously, we enjoy the tax advantages a great deal. Um, Nick claims real estate professional status and has for several years now. And, you know, we, we enjoy the things with like bonus depreciation and cost seg. But we really think of making sure that we're investing because the numbers make sense, not investing just for tax reasons. Um, and so that, that's kind of our, our overall investment philosophy in terms of tax.
1: You know, it is kind of funny because I get people every once in a while, either high net income earners out in San Francisco. We work with a lot of bankers in New York City and then physicians as well. And, uh, you know, you start talking about real estate professional status. They realize it's a lot harder than I thought and I can't actually get this and or my spouse can't actually get this because I've only got, you know, one rental. Then they go, why would I want to keep investing in real estate? And we try to say the same thing. It's like, no, no, no. Real estate's the greatest wealth building tool of all time. <laughs> like, let's let's just totally discard taxes for a second. What else are you going to do with your money? You're going to go buy like a Tesla or something. Come on. Like invest in real estate anyway and the tax benefits, the tax benefits will be there. They'll shelter your current cash flow. You can keep rolling your gains forward. You can literally never pay tax mm-hmm. on any gain associated with your real estate if you structure it correctly. But it's funny because because I think that people come into to real estate hearing about all the tax benefits and saying, I'm going to invest in real estate to reduce my tax. And I'm right there with you, Elaine. I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And and there's a lot of tax we pay. So we kind of have a joke amongst ourselves that um, our goal is to build a school in our community. So when we, you know, march down to city hall and we take our stack of property tax checks, you know, we're, we're excited to pay that. We're excited to to contribute that to our community for improving the roads or building schools or, you know, whatever needs to happen to keep this a great community.
3: We actually um, talked to a developer who builds public schools and we asked him how much a public school costs. And if we just get a little one, just a plain Jane elementary school, uh, we're going to buy a school in about seven years if we add up all of our property tax. So we're actually kind of excited about that. We don't mind paying, paying our fair share. Yeah, um,
2: But but obviously, you know, even without the, the tax benefits of real estate, like real estate professional status, it's still an excellent vehicle for wealth building. I think maybe one of the advantages that Nick and I had is we started investing in real estate when we were well below like the income limits for real estate professional status. So it was just in our mindset that we were doing this because we wanted to own property and to have cash flow from them and to have debt pay down from our residents paying the mortgage and to have appreciation on those properties. And that's what we were focused on because our household income was low enough that you know we didn't even really need to consider real estate professional status. And then as our income grew and we needed to consider that because we had crossed the income threshold, it was already so deep into our core investing philosophy that the tax advantages were just extra, that it didn't radically change our investment philosophy.
3: You don't need reps when you're young and poor.
1: (laughs) There you go, right? (laughs) You're not paying any tax. There's no tax to offset, so you're fine. But I I just think it's it's really important to kind of harp on what you guys are talking about, though. If you invest in real estate, the cash flow that I'm going to receive from my rentals is either fully or partially sheltered by depreciation. So even if I can't take my tax losses, right? Like A lot of people want to invest in real estate, do the cost seg study, get the big tax loss, and then offset their their taxable income. And that's their primary driver for investing. And and we're kind of thinking, no, you need to be thinking 10, 15 years down the road, is this asset going to keep cash flowing? Is this asset going to appreciate... And we can protect the cash flow. We can protect the appreciation. If we can get the tax loss today, that's a cherry on top. But what we need to be thinking about is that tax deferred or sometimes even tax free cash flow that we're going to get for 10 to 15 years or the appreciation that we're going to get over 10 to 15 years and how we're going to shelter that and what that does to your overall return when you don't have to pay tax on that. So investing in real estate is still a, a very tax. Sheltered, tax advantageous investment, even if you can't qualify as a real estate professional, and accelerate your losses. And you know, we, we've had lots of conversations with people that that's the only reason they want to invest. And then we're going, well, I don't know if this is a, are yeah. we not doing our job if we tell them that you probably shouldn't invest in real estate if this is what you want.
2: Yeah. Um, so, so. so, we principally invest in single family homes, um, and hopefully, we get a, a little bit of time to talk about why that's our strategy, because I think that's a, a somewhat rare strategy. But we do, uh, you know, we do look at and underwrite larger like apartment buildings or other things. And, you know, we'll, we'll write our pro forma, you know, such that we can offer one amount and that it stops cash flowing at another higher amount. And then we will be outbid by someone at an even higher amount. And we're in a fairly small community, so we often, you know, know these buyers and we'll ask them like, gosh, it like stopped making sense for us, like a million dollars under, you know, what you offered, like, what are you doing? And they're like, Oh, I just want the tax benefits. And I'm like, Oh, okay, well,
3: cash flow (laughs) negative today, maybe very cash flow negative after COVID. We'll see.
2: Yeah, um, it it just kind of, it gives me a, a, a pit in my stomach. I mean, the one thing I love about real estate is that everyone can have a different strategy. There's a lot of art to this. And that's what makes it fun and beautiful and exciting to learn what other people are doing. But man, when I hear that. Um, I just think the fundamentals are are really messed up there, um, and and we personally really like to stick to to the fundamentals of cash flowing properties in good neighborhoods that are going to appreciate, and then getting that debt pay down through yeah. our tenants making payments.
3: One uh, tax strategy that we execute that um, we kind of did instinctually before, but I think I heard about it for the first time on uh, the Bigger Pockets podcast when you were, you were on there, Brandon Hall. Was so I, I come from a tech background that's. An extremely uh, ferocious cadence to the business, you know, like two week iterations and continuous improvement stuff. And a lot of our success comes from taking that, you know, 20 years in tech and applying it to the real estate industry where these kind of thought processes and models are, they just don't exist. So we are never in a hurry. We're never creating waste by going too fast. But we are always doing things as fast as they can be done. So, for example, you know, Elaine mentioned that we will lease a property before we even close on it. Like we get the property in our contract and we list it on our website for lease. Uh, we just leased a property. We got it under contract. We don't close for 20 days and we got a lease on it like a few days after closing. I've never heard of anyone doing that before. And just as you recommend, we uh, you know put the property into service as quickly as possible. And then we'll typically lease, more often than not, we will lease that property long before renovations complete and sometimes even commence. We'll show them like a, one of our finished products and say, we use the same color paint, the same light fixture, the same everything. So this is what it's going to look like. And they they sign that lease. And that allows us to expense a lot more than we might uh, might traditionally need to. And we backload our expenses as well. So like, uh, you know, in our in our municipality, the high regulatory climate, we have to do lots of... Um, you know, uh, building safety and, and fire safety things. We have to put in up-coded egress windows, for example. Well, we might put those in, you know, as late in the game as we can to make sure that those aren't, you know, CapEx uh, expenses that go to our basis on the front end.
1: Great stuff. So, Lane, you mentioned that you wanted to touch base on why you invest in single-family rentals. Let's do that. Why do you invest in single-family rentals and why not multifamily?
2: Yeah, that's probably, probably like, one of our favorite things to talk about in real estate investing so our portfolio is almost exclusively uh, single-family homes. We do have a few duplexes. Um, we started with single-family homes. We, we we were accidental landlords. We we rented the home that I owned and lived in prior to us getting married, um, and then we we purchased a single-family home specifically to to renovate and to rent. And then there was this like lull in our investing career. Where you know we were hearing from podcasts and blogs and different things that we needed to kind of graduate into like duplexes, triplexes, quads, you know a little bit bigger, multifamily. And we spent like what, like a year kind of looking for those types of deals. and the numbers just were never as good as single family. and we and the
3: tenants were not as good either.
2: and and we we did acquire a few of them. Um, and we still own them to this day. We own everything we've ever purchased. Can
3: we manage an apartment complex just to keep ourselves honest. I don't know.
2: Yeah. And we just love single family. And as we've grown, as we've scaled our portfolio, so you know we've crossed like the $10 million mark for our portfolio. I would say at least once a week, we hear people ask kind of this like graduation question, like, when are you going to graduate to something bigger? And for a while, it really bothered us. And then eventually we were like, there is no graduation like we love single family the yield is amazing we've created this system to do single family at scale we're able to place a lot of capital very quickly we have kind of an engine that's that's going at all times and there's no need for us to you know to purchase other assets just because that's kind of like the fashionable thing to do and in fact one thing we really love about single family is we feel like it's a very it's a very inefficient market because there's not a ton of investors in it and so we're most often purchasing a property from an owner-occupant, operating it as a rental, and then our exit strategy, we're, we're buy and hold, so we, we haven't sold anything that, that we've ever purchased, but our exit strategy will be to sell to an owner-occupant. And so just all of those efficiencies in the life cycle of the asset um, really lend themselves to single-family investing. And... I can't tell you how many people have heard that from us especially lately that we've been kind of louder about it.
3: Yeah, we have uh, a skill.com. it's just a free course we're giving away to spread the good word that you don't have to graduate, I don't know. Yeah,
2: people will email us and say like everyone mention everyone says I have to buy a duplex and I can't find any duplexes in my market that produce well, but I can find all these single family homes that produce well and I've been too afraid to buy them or I think it's not sort of fancy enough or, or I'm not doing the right thing and hearing your success has kind of, you know, opened my mind to new ideas. And that's just so exciting to me. That's why we, we love single family investing. We love talking about single family investing um, and just kind of spreading the word that it's it's a very real path to growing a large portfolio and, and building wealth.
3: Yeah, like I just checked our pipeline and we have 16 properties under contract right now. And those are more expensive homes, you know, north of 200,000 in our market. So it's uh, was that four million dollars in assets that are just in our pipeline for acquisition right now, and we have received zero phone calls today. If we just turned our phones off, I don't think there would be anyone who would notice or care. A disproportionate number of our of our maintenance and not even maintenance, just our calls, come from our multifamily assets. The tenants are like one, statistically speaking, we've run the numbers, and they are one hundred times needier than our single family tenants. And oftentimes our tenants will like call and say like, Hey, my toilet broke. I fixed it. Can you reimburse me for the $2 water supply line? And I'm like, absolutely. We'll give you a $5 credit as a matter of <laughs> fact. <laughs> Meanwhile, and, our tenant, you know, in our multifamily wants to call and, us in the middle of the night and insist on an emergency maintenance call. And,
2: and they're great people. Like, don't no, no, us they're, they're great people, yeah. but like, like we got a call from a, a young woman and there was a, a light bulb out in the common area. And so she, like, she just like, wasn't sure. Like, am I supposed to change it? Or do you guys change it? like in a single family home, like it's obvious who owns the light fixtures or, you know, calls about like, there's dog poop in the yard. Well, in a single family home, that's probably your dog's poop. Like it was just not a lot of, a lot of kind of the, the overlap that comes from a lot of people living in a small area. And then one of the, the calls we had recently from one of our, our excellent tenants in a duplex, um, this person said, I think I've just outgrown a duplex.
3: And we thought, well, we were fantastic tenants. We were devastated to lose them.
2: Yeah, and we thought, well, we want to build our business around the grown-up version of that person. And so that's that's why we love single-family.
1: You know, I I definitely think there's some economies of scale that multifamily offers, but I do agree that you can certainly scale a single-family rental home business. We we have a fund client, a client of ours that's a big real estate fund, and they have about two thousand single-family homes. So. If you can figure out your operations, you can certainly, certainly do a really good job. And you've got better tenants, like you said, that stay longer, lower vacancy. So there's a lot of benefits to it. But one of the benefits that I, I don't remember if you actually touched on, uh, at least that I see a single family is if I need to sell a single family home, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. like little, little bank accounts that I can just liquidate at any time. Multifamily
3: exactly. sits a little longer, right?
2: It's a little longer. Um, it's harder air-
3: to get a discount when you buy it. If you buy a multifamily asset and it's distressed, like the carpet's worn out and the paint's beat up, there's no discount for that. It's just, oh, it's a rental. Who cares? Whereas in single family, you can get a steep discount on the property for even mild amounts of distress very easily. Mm-hmm. There's Yeah, there's the entrances and exits. We, like I said, we have like $4 million of acquisitions in our pipeline right now. And it's not, it's just kind of business as usual. It's not the stress that goes with, I mean, we are closing on a $7.5 million asset right now in 11 days. I can tell you it is way more stressful to buy that. I I think I would rather buy 30 single-family homes than the 30-unit townhome subdivision.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything makes a lot of sense. And we're coming up on time here. So just wanted to, if you're open to it, would you be able to let our listeners know uh, the best way to learn more about you and uh, what you have going on and how they may be able to contact you?
3: Sure. Yeah. You can just go to a uh, single family at scale.com. Uh, that's the free course that we're offering. We don't really know what we're doing with it. We just, I don't know. We just had answered this conundrum about single family, multifamily enough times. We figured we ought to record the conversation. Um, our website is blackswan.realestate um, and all of our contact info, you know, email, phone and stuff is on there. And we're always happy to you know, talk with people who are interested in investing or uh, do coaching or you know, whatever we can do to provide value. You have a Facebook group too, right? We do, yeah. We do,
2: yep. Single family investing at scale.
3: Just find Single that on Facebook. Jump in at scale. and get some free group coaching.
2: Yeah, and the the link to the Facebook group is on the website singlefamilyatscale.com. at scale.com.
0: So we're gonna go ahead and drop all of that into the show notes uh, for everybody who is listening. Um, and Nick and Elaine want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know this is probably a, you know, somewhere in my top episodes that we have here on the Real Estate CPA oh, Podcast because I know $200. I learned a lot. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We need to get a podcast just because we love having these conversations and can't believe this is a thing. So thanks so much for having us.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at realestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.